Hello and welcome to another episode of Landon Live. Wow, it has been such a busy week here. I've been, we had a splurge in our TikTok views lately and nothings are kind of dying down and uh, we're, we're doing these live streams on TikTok and it's just so neat interacting and joking around with the different people that we meet on our live stream. So I really enjoy that. You can check us out at Landon Venting on TikTok. We're going live a few nights a week now. Uh, we were hardcore going live every night, every day for like a week just to see what it was like. And uh, I might do that again to see because it, it varies on what days are, are, you know, we get more viewers and we get boosts, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, today is going to be a very fun podcast. This was an interview I did with um, Tom Crowell. Tom Crowell, run, he's a ventriloquist. He was a, he started off doing magic and then he did ventriloquism. And he's a very strong and popular presence within the ventriloquist community. He runs Mayor Ventriloquist Studios and IVS, which is the International Ventriloquist Society. Um, uh, you can go to IVS, uh, internationalventriloquistsociety.com, to uh, enroll and be part of the IVS. I am an IVS member, and it is so. I actually just started writing a column for our, our uh, newsletter for the IVS, and it's it's so much fun uh, being part of this community, this online community, uh, where we got different resources and we can stay in touch with what you know vents all over the world are doing. I mean, when else do you get to talk to these people aside from the ventriloquist convention? So the IVS is really a great way to stay in touch with friends, see what others are doing, and and stay in that creative zone that we so desperately need in our art and in what we're doing and, and being comedians and and being performers. So please go check that out. Anyway, Tom Corral, you're going to find out everything you need to know about him in this interview, um, but he's one of my favorite ventriloquists and one of my one of the top working vents that I look up to. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Tom Corral. Wait a minute. What is it, Mervin? I thought I was going to introduce him. No. Okay. Can I introduce the next person? Sure, but it's, we're only doing one person per podcast. Well, doesn't that work out for you, you little sissy? All right. Please enjoy this interview with Tom Crowell. Hey, hey. And needless to say, tonight we have on Tom Crowell. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Landon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. So let's just go ahead and get into it. How did you get into, wait, not ventriloquism, but magic? Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, uh, Mark Wilson was on television. I don't know if you remember that name or not. Uh, he had the magic circus and, uh, and then along came Doug Henning. And uh, while I was interested in ventriloquism, magic seemed like you know, where all the stardom was, where all the celebrity was. And, mm -hmm. and I wanted to do that. So I, I remember uh, Marshall Brodeen came on with a TV magic deck. And I saved every penny I could get. And I bought myself a TV magic deck. And I thought, I'm going to be a professional magician. So that's really where the interest started. I mean, it's it was – I was pretty young when that when that all happened. And mm -hmm. uh, I can remember um, my sister had gotten a magic trick puzzle package, and I kind of confiscated that. Uh, so I, I was just fascinated with the art. Wow. Wow. So how did you, where did you perform when you started magic and where, how did that progress into oh. your, to your career? Tell it met ventriloquism. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, um, I started out like everybody I was doing, mm -hmm. uh, my church, I was doing, um, birthday parties, uh, and it got to a point 
that I loved it. So I was, I started doing uh, stage shows with the society of American magicians assembly okay, well. that was in, uh, in Westminster here. And we used to do these big Halloween shows every year and it gave me a chance to get on stage. And I always wanted to do illusions. Um, I did all kinds of things as a magician. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I did a uh, straight jacket escape hanging upside down from a hot air balloon. Um, yeah. Lots of <laughs> uh, yeah. Crazy stuff that I look back and go, I could have been killed. What, what was I thinking? I, and the money wasn't that good. So I don't know why I did it. But uh, so I, I did all that kind of stuff and I had assistants and I, you know, traveled around. I, I did campgrounds and mm-hmm. schools and, uh, you know, in, um, I guess it was 19, I'm going to, I'm going to be really bad here. 1991, I got married mm-hmm. and, um, my wife joined the show and we started doing fairs and festivals and we traveled around the country doing, you know, we'd be out all summer long working in the heat, in the dirt at the uh, fairs and did that for years. Um, had worked some cruise ships, had a lot of fun with that. Um, and then it, in 2005, she decided she wanted to pursue her own career. And when she did that, I was left with a mind reading Vietnamese pot belly pig and a kid show. And the pig and I didn't get along all the time. So um, I ate her <laughs> and no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I retired her and then uh, I got rid of the kid show and I thought I'm going to do ventriloquism. And so I got back into it. I had done it as a kid, had a mm-hmm. Simon Says out of the Sears catalog. Yeah. And uh, I called Ken Groves, who I think you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and Ken's like, hey, come on out. I'll teach you how to do this stuff. <laughs> uh, I couldn't go over right away. So I started buying stuff. I'm, I'm sure you probably heard that story. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll tell you my side of it. But uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I'd, I'd love to hear that. Well, Ken was uh, extremely helpful. He's been a friend for a long time. We met in the fair circuit. And, okay. Uh, he uh, he liked our show and I liked his show because it was what I was doing at the time was extremely different. It wasn't, you know, the standard magic show. And you hear a lot of magicians say that. But um, I was pretty out there. I uh, I did a bullet catch with a water cannon, one of those uh, super soakers. And okay. my uh, son was dressed up as Cambo. His name was Cameron or is Cameron. And uh, so he would dress up in fatigues and come out four years old, could barely lift this thing. And every time he tried to lift it and shoot me, he'd shoot me in the crotch. And uh, so it, it was stuff that wasn't, you know, your normal magic show. Right. Um, but uh, so Ken and I just became friends because we both loved each other's sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I got back into vent, I called him because I was really nervous. I was like, I don't know if he's going to be upset that I'm getting into this or, you know, <laughs> and he was like, no, man, we need more vents. So uh, uh-huh. come on out. And I uh, had bought the mayor course and I had bought every book and DVD and everything you could get on the subject. Cause I wanted to learn from all the sources. Yeah. And I went out to Ken's because I still wasn't quite getting it. And uh, Ken said, bring along your uh, puppet. Well, I had been on eBay. And, uh-huh. uh, I had some money at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I started buying all these one of a kind puppets because I thought if I'm going to be in it, um, the first thing I bought was an Axtell Vern. Sure. And uh, then I started looking around at all the different vent websites and I and the magician websites. And I saw Vern everywhere. And I was like, nah, that ain't going to work. I need yeah. something really different. And uh, so I bought things that were one of a kinds, things you couldn't get from anybody else. Uh, things that nobody else would have. And uh, I liked this puppet and I bought it. And then I got another puppet and I liked that. I had a bunch of puppets I didn't have any characters for. Um, 
And then I went out to Ken's and I had Anvil foot lockers. I mean, I, I've spent money on these cases. I, I'm going to be a pro. And uh, I went out to Ken's and I'm unloading all these into his house. He's like, what did you bring? <laughs> so um, I know he makes fun of that. But the other side, the flip side that he never tells anybody is uh, I pull out a puppet. He goes, oh, that's cool. Let me see that. And he started yeah. playing with it. And he was, he, you know, Ken is so good. Right. Uh, and I was still, you know, in my infancy with this. Mm -hmm. And he was able to bring those puppets. You know, they just moved. They seemed alive in his hands. He wasn't really, you know, doing much with them voice-wise, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, he'd play with them. And I was like, wow, that's great. And he'd go, okay, what else you got? And I'd pull out something. He goes, oh, I like that one even better. He uh -huh. loved all the puppets. He <laughs> <laughs> you won't tell anybody that. He yeah, was like, hey, it was the same as you when you bought them. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, but uh, do you know that to this day, um, I, I don't think I've used more than a few of them on the stage. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I, when I first got started, I, uh, I had a local photographer here in town who's a friend of mine. He, he lined me up with all my figures, you know, the, the standard event pose. You know, I got, oh, here's all my figures. And it was a cool shot. Right. But then people would go, well, are you going to use all those in the show? And I was like, no, because I don't have characters for them. But I didn't tell them that. Uh, I just said, oh, well, that's not really for a kid show. or That's not, you don't want that. That's for an adult. Or, I mean, a, a kid show. You're an adult act. Right. Uh, you know, you're an adult audience. So, uh, yeah. I uh, And then, you know, Dangerous came along. And um, the moment I took him on stage, uh, he just clicked with me. Um, okay. And I know that, you know, that a lot of people go, I'm looking for that character that I can click with. Um, I had his personality in mind the whole time. Um, okay. But when I had that puppet, that personality worked with that puppet. And uh, I thought it was, it's funny because I have a friend named uh, Eugene Softy. I don't know if you know him or not, but Eugene actually keeps telling, he, he does these jokes like, uh, oh, uh, I'll pay for the check and put it on my bill. And Dangerous is not a duck. He's a person. Um, right to be a duck and so uh -huh. you know that's kind of the the comedy that comes out of him he does things that you never see a duck do and uh, uh the same thing with newton which you saw in the clip um he's a baby dragon you know who, this ugly thing that's huge uh <laughs> that could swallow me is scared of everybody so i, I don't know where i'm going here i probably rambled off the question <laughs> <laughs> No, but that's interesting because earlier you mentioned uh, that it was a puppet, but not a character. Can you talk about the difference? Because well, I yeah. think that's a great point. Um, and, and that's something, you know, I, I, I tell people all the time. Um, you see a great puppet mm -hmm. and you probably have done this. Have you bought puppets you don't use? Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. And that's why I, well, I built puppets I don't use. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's dangerous. Um, <laughs> but you can sell. So, you know. You're, you're right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a puppet doesn't have any kind of character. And when right. I see a vent pull out a puppet and do uh, two or three minutes with it, and they do some jokes, and then they just kind of throw it away. And then they bring out another puppet. And it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, the puppets don't have any real character. Some of them have the same voice. So mm -hmm. the difference between a puppet and a character, it's so much easier to write for a character. Um, a character has, you know, a defined personality. Uh, mm -hmm. You know that personality. You know that character. And you can base it on people that you know. 
Um, Dangerous is based on a couple of my friends who are very funny and very sarcastic. And, uh, you know, I, I can whenever I'm working with them, I can hear them in my mind. I know what they would say if I said this. I mean, I know them that well. And so right. I already know what Dangerous is going to say because he's he's already alive for me. And um, when you just have a puppet, you know, people go, I want to I want to get a puppet. I want it to be this. I want it to be that. Um, I remember going down to the uh, the 2016 vent convention. Uh, mm -hmm. I took Newton around. I had just got him. Um, yeah. had this uh, art student build him for me. And he's He's absolutely a phenomenal puppet. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's gorgeous. Um, <laughs> he's got individually built scales. We, I just wanted to mention that because it's, as a puppet builder, that's a tedious, tedious build. Oh, and, and you know, the thing is, and I, I the woman who built him, uh, she was a college student, an art major, uh, who happened to love making puppets. And uh, what she charged me for him, she said, I will never build another one for that. And I gave her more money than she asked for. Right. But um, the uh, thing is, she's an art student. She doesn't build puppets for a living. Mm -hmm. So Newton has some issues. <laughs> oh. Because he's not, he wasn't meant to be um, used constantly. And that's what I do. I, I use see. puppets constantly. Yeah. So it's just little odds and ends that I want to change on him. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't have the skill to do that. And I need sure. to, I need to get him to somebody who can. Yeah. Um, but uh Anyway, he, uh, I took him around to the convention and uh, everybody was like, I was asking people, what kind of voice would you put with this character? And they were all like, you know, the Sean Connery voice from, uh, was it Dragonheart? Uh, one of those yeah, movies. like Dragonheart, yeah. yeah. And they're all like, oh, it should be like Sean Connery. And then other people were like, oh, it's got to be rough. And, uh. and I couldn't write comedy for either of those. I, I just, so um, I came up with a uh, flamboyantly gay character. You know, like, uh -huh. hi there, I feel so excited to be here. Yeah. And uh, I tried that on a couple audiences, and they just kind of sat there and looked at me. And uh -huh. I thought, they're afraid of where I'm going to take this. Like, <laughs> I can't do that. You know, right. you, you don't want the audience to be afraid that you're going to um, stray into an area they're not going to be comfortable with. Mm -hmm. um, so but that's a great point, uh, Tom, is that you you took whatever you took the feedback that you got from the convention and you went polar opposite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so. it's, I, I think the reason is, is because everybody said that. Yeah. And, uh, and Ken even said to me, he goes, yeah, whatever they say, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and it, you know, and it's true. Um, we have a lot of great events that come to the convention. Um, but, when you're doing comedy, you've got to think outside of just the puppet. Mm -hmm. You got to think outside of just how it looks. Uh, you got to think of the character and what it's going to be. And uh, coming up with that baby idea was not easy. Um, I had another character that I was working on as a baby, um, a Marianne Taylor baby. And uh, it was almost going to be a baby and then go into one of those, um, what was the Roger Rabbit uh, baby? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was good. You know, okay, time's up. I'm out of here. I got a date. You know, that kind of right. thing. So, um, but uh, he he didn't work out real well either. And so I, I took the baby voice and added it to Newton. And the first okay. time I walked on stage with it, I was at uh, Knoebel's theme park. I've been doing them for about, this will be, well, this will be 25 years if they open this year. Mm -hmm. And uh, I walked on stage with it. And I used that voice and the whole crowd just broke up. And at the convention, it was the same way. Yeah. 
when he said hi, everybody just started cracking. They were not expecting that voice. Yeah. And, but it's uh, yeah, it's because they had that expectation for what voice they wanted you to use for them. Exactly. And when you, when you add that, it's like when you do a twist on a on a on a joke, you know. But yeah. it's it's a, a whole different thing. But it's mm-hmm. super neat. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know that's that's how he came about. I just I kept playing with it and. Uh, you know, I'd ask everybody. I, mm-hmm. I was, and and you know, it's it's still. He's not a one hundred percent defined character. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he's a baby, but uh, it's very hard to write comedy for a baby for me. So, even though he's like six hundred and seventy five years old, uh, <laughs> just it's not easy. So, <laughs> but uh, so yeah, he's uh, you know that that was the story behind Newton. So yeah. Well, that's interesting. Can you talk about how you write for Dangerous? Because you said that Dangerous is not a duck. And, and that that's what's interesting, too, is I feel like if anyone else, you know, that had a duck puppet, they do the typical duck puns or put it on my bill or all that. How do you write for a, is it like writing for a, a cheeky boy character, but but having it in the form of a duck? Or is it totally different? A little what's your bit. Approach? A okay. little bit. Um, you know, the old dialogue books, so many people read and they go, well, if I got a joke out of them, it was worth the two dollars or whatever Clinton charged for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of those jokes are available on the internet for free. And uh, honestly, the dialogue books in themselves were not uh, good examples of a conversation. Um, <laughs> they, they just aren't. Right. If you sit around and, uh, well, you write for your characters. Uh, your sure. dad will help you with that? Uh, occasionally. Okay. Yeah. yeah. See, and w- what I did is I, I sat around. And this is something Ken advised. And I just watched people, how they talked, how they, you know. And when I'm sitting in a conversation with friends, I just listen to what I'm saying, what they're saying. And, uh, you know, I, I I try to emulate that in my uh, in my stories. And then I always need a plot. And um, I mentioned this at uh, one of the conventions and uh, God bless him, uh, Shane West, I think it was, or Colin Diamond. I can't, I think it was Shane though, um, said afterwards, he goes, that was worth the whole price of the convention. Um, What I was doing at the time is I was uh, going on to the episodes uh, where you can find all the synopsises of episodes of television shows. Okay. And uh, I'm a huge family guy. uh, Yeah. So I would go on and I would see what the synopsis was. And then I'd take like one sentence from it because they'd say something like uh, uh, Brian's having uh, issues with his girlfriend or Stewie wants to kill Lois, uh, you know, or, or something very bizarre. Sure. So I'd take that and I'd make that a plot for a script. Hmm. And uh, I would not watch the show. I didn't want to see it. I didn't want to be influenced by it. Um and that was something somebody brought up at the convention. He said, well, don't you, why didn't you watch the show? Because then you'd have an idea. It's like, I don't want that. Right. I want to be able to do this on my own. So I would take that and I would kind of flesh it out. And that's one of the ways I wrote that uh, 30 scripts in 30 days that I put together. Um, 30 scripts. And it's all these stupid little plot lines from different TV shows. Um, it's not, you know, years ago, Terry Fader talked about uh, – inspiration and theft um inspiration you know everybody walked out of that going oh terry said it's okay to take things um that's not what he said that's uh, <laughs> not what he said yeah, at all that's not what he said at all but everybody <laughs> thought he did yeah oh i can do a few things uh, no, yeah don't do that um but uh yeah i mean it's 
if you take a germ of an idea, and this is this is if you go on, you watch uh, Gilligan's Island had the same basic plot line as uh, you know Beverly Hillbillies or something like that. All these different TV shows, even today, um, there's only so many subjects you can talk about, you can do. So it's the twist that you put on it. And um, so I take those germs of the idea and then I just start fleshing them out. And they don't always turn out the way I think they're going to. Um, mm-hmm. But I try to write it like I would talk it. And okay. uh, I think that's one of the key things that I learned um, from the online uh, program, which was uh, Steve Roy's um, Killer Comedy, Killer Stand-Up Comedy, uh, which is a great course. If you guys can get it, if you find it still, I think it's online. Um, but, uh, yeah, Steve Roy had a great comedy writing course. And uh, he said, write Write like you talk, um, because literally you talk comedy. Well, what's interesting is I was talking with Michael Paul. He was on America's Got Talent. I believe it was last year. I'm not sure, but he's a ventriloquist as well as a comedian. And um, he was looking at some of my stuff and he said, he said, the problem with ventriloquists is they write to set up the puppet and not to set up the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so you shouldn't have... And the way I was writing at the time was it was it was mostly built like a questionnaire almost where it was question. It was like, hi, my name's so and so. And this is so and so. And it was a question, question, question. And so he's like, what you have to do is figure out how you can reword these questions to where they're either statements or maybe your point of view that the puppet can play on. Mm-hmm. So it seems more like a natural conversation. And that's changed my whole mindset because I have him blurting that out whenever I go, whenever I add a. Uh, question mark at the end of a sentence i have to go back and <laughs> and edit that so it's uh that's great advice um i have yet to meet that guy uh, i think he's like right up the road for me in philadelphia oh really? or something like that or where is he i don't know <laughs> i'm not, I'm not sure <laughs> but uh <laughs> no, i mean the, the guy he had an awesome bit on agt and um that was the first time i'd ever heard or seen him heard of it and there's a lot of ventriloquists that you know you don't meet um that you don't hear about um, and you kind of wish some of these people would come to the convention because they're amazing talents and it'd just be neat to, you know, get them to be a part of the community. Um, I think that's one of the big things that we have, you know, the community. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's an amazing group of people. And when you get together, like, you know, it's old home week. Uh, so I'll leave yeah, it. It's always a- but, uh, but that, now that's great advice from him. And, uh, but, you know, by the same token, um, if you go back and look uh, at some of Jeff's, and Jeff is one of the biggest sellers in our, our business, uh, yes. some of his stuff for a little while became, uh, you know, question and answer. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it did. Um, but it's also, it's also kind of interesting because you have, and I, I think I've noticed this more as I've watched comedians and then watched ventriloquist, is there's different styles of setting up the comedy it's like situational and you've got you know jeff is is more like a a comedian where he's got set up punch but he does it with a puppet you know mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting to see the uh, the variance in, in styles yeah well you know that's and that's the beauty of it um yeah. you were at the convention last year right no i was not there oh man you missed it um uh oh i'm gonna forget his name incredible japanese oh he's gonna kill me <laughs> Somebody write the name in in the questions. Um, it was um, oh man, I hate that. I I can see him. Um, and I talked to Takeshi. Takeshi, okay. I'm sorry, Takeshi, if you're watching this, you don't understand English that well anyway. Uh, <laughs> he does. Uh, he'll, uh, sorry. 
I love you. I think you're great. Uh, but Takeshi came over and he was doing um, Japanese style ventriloquism and it blew me away. Um, stuff that like during uh, the setup, we did a, uh, a thing where he, he, his wife was singing a song and he was just sitting back there with his puppet. And I thought, okay, this is weird. And she wasn't as loud as she could be. And I kept saying, turn up her mic. What I didn't realize was he was doing the singing through her. And uh, it wow. was just it was a very, and then, and then during the show, I'm like, turn, wait a minute, turn his mic up. <laughs> and uh, so um, it, uh, that was a, an incredible thing. It was totally different style than what we mm -hmm. do here. Um, but it was amazing to see because I saw things that if I really wanted to study it, I'm sure I could incorporate into my event. And uh, that's one of the beauties of the international show at the convention. Mm -hmm. um, you've got uh, so many great acts that have been over here uh, from so many different countries. And uh, uh, Darren Carr was on one year. Um, yes. Well, man, he brought down the house. Uh, I knew he was good. I had mm -hmm. no idea how good he was. And I'm really glad he was great because uh, I recommended him to Mark. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's um, – it's so refreshing to see some of these acts and how they uh, adapt, how they, you know, change the basics. And I think that's something, you know, the, the amateurs, um, the part-time pros, they're still learning. They're still, you know, even though some of them are very proficient technically, um, sure. there's things that they can still do. And I think sometimes uh, a lot of people forget that it's more than just being able to talk without moving your lips. Uh, there's so many more aspects to this and they're not easy to put together and make it look like you're not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a great point. That is a, that is a great point. Um, wow. I don't do anything um, anyway. Can you talk a little bit about aspects of being a magician that you transferred to ventriloquism? If there were any. Um, the stage presence. Okay. Um, I had been in front of, audiences of all kinds, all shapes, all sizes. Uh, I had done, you know, birthday parties for a couple people. I had done, uh, you know, fairs where only a couple people showed up. I can relate to Terry Fader's, you know, one kid showed up. Um, uh, and I had done things where I'd been in front of 5,000 people who could, probably couldn't see me. So um, the thing I learned about magic was the engagement of the audience. And I brought that over into vent. Um, it wasn't easy because, uh, you know, I shouldn't say this. I saw when I was struggling with my kid's show, I saw a, uh, a ventriloquist who, you know, it was OK. But I thought, you know, I could do that on a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. Um, you know, it just it, it looks when it's done right. It looks so easy. It looks mm -hmm. effortless. And, uh, you know, Ken is great at that. He uh, he makes everything look so effortless. Uh, Jay Johnson is phenomenal at that. His his voices and his modulations, uh, just incredible. Uh, Terry uh, is just phenomenal. Um, there's so many great vents out there. But I thought, yeah, you know, I could do this. And then I picked up a puppet. And when I first put a puppet into the show, Landon, um, I thought, you know, I've got about three to five minutes with this puppet. I'm going to, you know, say, hey, would you like to see something new? And then I bring out the puppet and I do it. And 
it didn't get laughs. And with the magic, I did comedy. Um, comedy's always been my thing, whether it's magic or ventriloquism or whatever. I love making people laugh. I think there's nothing better than getting the audience to roll on the floor. Yeah. And um, so now I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's what old age does to you. <laughs> yeah, it's my bedtime. Uh, anyway, no, um, I was going somewhere with this and it was really important. Oh, uh, I, I brought the puppet out is what I was getting ready to say. And I do like 30 seconds to a minute with it and it wasn't getting laughs. And you, when you're not getting laughs, you're just a person up there with a puppet, you know, Mm-hmm. You go, you go a minute on that stage with no laughs, and oh, it's 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 brutal. Especially when you're used to laugh, used to like four to six laughs a minute. Yeah. And with my magic, I could get that. Um, you know, people would come up to me after my magic show, and they would go, you know, you we were laughing so hard, and then I realized, hey, you're doing some pretty incredible magic too. With the magic, if people weren't laughing at the jokes, they were at least amazed by the magic. You know, they had no clue as to how that was sure. done, but. With a puppet, if they're not laughing, you got nothing. And um, that was the hardest transition I ever had going from magic to ventriloquism. But the moment I figured it out, the moment that I started getting laughs with the puppets, I was able to add more and more and more. And uh, it was stronger than the magic. And that's when the magic you know, went out the door. So uh, I, I keep very few magic tricks. Uh, I have a couple in my show, which I don't do as magic tricks. They're, uh, you know, something that like dangerous does a stiff rope. Um, I know a lot of people do that. I think I've got a pretty strong stiff rope routine. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's some other things that uh, I do with them, but for the most part, I try to keep the magic out of it. Um, you know, I, it's not, I don't get up there. I know uh, like Mark Wade does uh, library shows and when he's doing a library show, uh, he'll sometimes take a break from the puppet and do a magic trick. I don't do that. I try to stay true to the form that I want to do, which is the ventriloquism. Okay. That's interesting. So you went, you went from magic gradually into ventriloquism. You didn't just say, I'm going to write a show in a day type thing, which can no. never be done, but no. you know. Yeah. Oh, it could be done. Not well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> I'm curious. So you talk about you talked earlier about how the convention is always a family. Can you talk a little bit about IVS and how that came to be? Yeah. Um, well, in 2013, very early 2013, uh, Clinton Detweiler, who had Mayor Studios for years, uh, and that's probably a name. It's surprising how many people do not remember Clinton, um, but a lot of people came in after that. And uh, I remember uh, one guy who was uh, going through my learned ventriloquism course uh, said, hey, I, I saw your video and you mentioned, you know, Clinton. Who was he? And I had to explain it to him. Uh, Clinton was a very respected man. Uh, he helped it, helped so many people get into this art and he was very supportive. Um, and uh, when he passed away, it left a big hole in the community. And at the time. I tried to do a, a video blog and I was trying to do it every day because Clinton used to, to post all the time. And I didn't write very well back then. I wasn't, wasn't much of a writer. So I would interview people just like you're doing, uh, but I'd break it down into little chunks, you know, like your daily dose of inspiration kind of thing. And uh, I put them on every day and um, I realized I couldn't keep up with that. Uh, then at the convention, and I found this out actually before the convention, uh, the family, uh, Detweilers were going to give Mayor Studios to Mark Wade to carry on the tradition. Oh. So Mark was going to, you know, take control of it. And Mark 
at the time had no real idea of what to do with it. Uh, he wanted to, um, you know, get somebody to build puppets for it. Uh, he wanted to, you know, do all these things. But at the time, Mark had just retired. And um, Mark brought Ken into it because Mark and Ken were, you know, very tight. Uh, you know, they've been buddies for years. And uh, Ken is his number two at the convention. Um, you know, so they, they've just, they've been really tight. And he brought Ken into it. And Ken said, I don't know what to do with it because Ken's not real savvy with computers or anything. But Ken knew about my course. And um, he said, why don't we talk to Tom and bring him into it? So Mark gave me a call and we had, we known each other. We didn't know each other real well, uh, but you know, we, we knew each other well enough that he gave me a call and he said, you know, Ken you know, told me I ought to bring you in on this. And so we all decided to fly out to Ken's house or I think I drove cause I'm only uh, you know, six hours from there and I didn't want to go through the airport. Uh, but um, anyway, so we all went out to Ken's house and, uh, uh, Ruby, his wife was gone. So we all went down to the store and we bought all these frozen dinners because none of us can cook. And, uh, <laughs> we nearly died from the ingredients in those frozen dinners. But, uh, we sat down and we started doing videos and, uh, talking and, and rehashing the mayor course itself. Uh, because I knew right away that if we put it out as booklets, um, we not only have to pay for the printing of the booklets, but we'd have to collate, staple, sort, uh, put them in a box, uh, right. ship them, uh, store them someplace. And I didn't want to store stuff. And uh, I said, you know, Mark, why don't you store the puppets and stuff at your place? And he's like, I don't want to do that. And then I don't have room for that. And then Ken was like, you ain't keeping them here. So puppets went out the way. And we decided at that point that Mayor was going to totally shift from the you know figure making and the puppets over to education, which is what it started as with the course. Sure. Now, granted, uh, Fred Mayer put the course together so that he could sell figures that he was making, but um, we just wanted to make it a uh, an educational company, and uh, the name was strong and it was known and uh, in the community, and so that's what we did. And the first thing, and when we sat down at that table, Mark said, "I want to." you know, bring up the old NAAV, which was the North American Association of Ventriloquists. Mm -hmm. And the NAAV had been around and really what the NAAV was, um, it was Clinton's way of advertising. Um, he would put together these little news events, which were, you know, sometimes decent sized books, but for the most part, they were paper pamphlets uh, that had a couple pages in them. And it would be real small type and not always easy to read. And he would send these out and there would be ads for Mayor Studios in there. And uh, they'd see, oh, this is what Clinton's making now. Well, when the Internet came around uh, and, and Clinton had troubles uh, the same way every organization has troubles, uh, you know, keeping people on their books, uh, you know, getting them to remind them to pay the dues. You got to have somebody who's dedicated to that kind of thing. Right. And uh, so it's not easy to have an organization. And. Uh, we wanted to do something a little bit different. And the first thing we thought, because because everybody was asking, I mean, uh, Magic Cafe, um, I'd been on there as a magician and I was on there as I was starting event. And uh, oh my God, if you go back and read some of the posts I made, it's like, oh, uh, I was pretty damn stupid. But um, the uh, they were all saying, you know, we'd like to start another association because we've got the NAAV on our website. And uh, 
pe- people didn't know uh, whether mm-hmm. it was still an acting organization or not, but you know, it, it's kind of tacky. And um, so uh, we decided we were going to start it back up. That's at that table. We decided we would start it back up and we were going to call it the IBS, uh, the international control society. And uh, the first thing Mark wanted to do was, well, are we going to print magazines? And I was like, I ain't printing. You're going to store the mag. Who's sending these magazines out? You know, you know how much we're going to have to charge people. To I mean, so- someone in the comments said your King Rose impression is spot on. Anyway. But yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it, it, it was just, I didn't want it to be anything physical product because I knew that we were going to have problems with it. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark was at least, well, let's send them out a certificate and a membership card. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, where are we going to get these membership cards printed? Our first membership cards were trash. I don't know if you remember seeing it. They were, they were like baseball card size and we took a gold label on the back of it. <laughs> it was pretty bad. It was ugly. Others were to say collector's item, but that works too. <laughs> yeah, collector's item. That's what it is. Yeah, collector's item. But um, that's sad. I think back on that, and I am so embarrassed by that thing. But it was what we had at the time, and we wanted right. to get the thing up and running. So, um, you know, we, we made the decision. I think it was in uh, October, and mm-hmm. November we opened it up. And December, we had our very first IBS spotlight. And back then, it was, you know, basically me, Ken – and uh, Mark doing videos talking about different subjects. And we had a couple of little things here and there from other people. Sure. And it stayed that way for most of the first couple of years. Um, but it was amazing how many people joined. And then the problem was uh, because Mark is the executive director of the convention, um, we felt like it was a conflict of interest to have the IBS represented at the convention. Okay. Uh, but I gave, uh, I remember going on stage and giving Jay Johnson an honorary membership at the uh, convention. And then people started asking, what's the IVS? What's the... So we opened up a table and I didn't have anything to do with this. They didn't tell me they were doing this. They just came in and they opened up a table and said, oh, we're taking IVS registrations. All these people signed up and they didn't have access to anything IVS. They didn't have access to the website. They didn't have membership. They couldn't get into the members area. Um, that was a nightmare for me. Um, I'm trying to explain to people how to get in and how to, you know, they, they created a heck of a lot of work for me. Um, and, and some people still didn't get it. You know, they went, oh, I'm not going to join again this year because I never got any of my magazines. We don't print magazines. Um, and and it, an what, back to the, uh, membership. On. Um, one of the reasons we don't print things, uh, the last membership certificate that we actually mailed out mm-hmm. had to go to, I think it was New Zealand. And it cost almost as much as their dues to mail it to them <laughs> because it's, you know, it, it, it's an eight and a half by 11. Yeah. And we were having, we had it in a little portfolio so it wouldn't get bent in transit and it, it just weighed enough. And it was of size that it was, it, it wasn't the whole dues, but it was pretty darn close. I think it was like 24, $25 to mail that thing over there. And, uh, you know, we were charging 35 until PayPal takes their cut. It's like, this may not be the best idea. So um, we decided, okay, we're going to start doing them, um, you know, by PDFs and people can print them out. Uh, Made sense to me. 
And then people started complaining we aren't getting membership cards now. And I thought, you don't use them for anything. Right. When do you use a membership card? Oh, sure. You can uh, get a membership card and go by the mayor table at uh, you know the thing and say, hey, Chuck Lyons, I am a member of the IVS. And what will that get you? It'll get you a free pin and some other stuff that please stop by and take this stuff. I, yeah. I've got it here. I don't like product. But um, <laughs> anyway, Chuck Lyons yeah. is a big help too. Shout out to him. I'm sorry, say that again. Chuck Lyons. He's oh, a big help. Is he here? Yeah, he said he was coming on. Uh, He's probably our only guest, huh? Um, but uh, yeah, 20, 30 people watching. How many? 30. 30? Yeah. Good gosh. You people have nothing to do tonight? Well, uh, they're all they're all from your Learn Dash Ventriloquism course. And they're all, we've got a bunch of comments saying that you're the reason why they got an event, and uh, which is great. So we have someone to blame now. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, but this is, this is, Great. And you know what? I, I have your course. I have, uh, I'm a member of the IVS and I have your course, Learn Ventriloquism. And I go back to it on a constant, on a regular basis because it's, it's amazing. And you're, you've got so much material on there. Is it, is it, do you have the, the Dan Horn arm rod? Is that on the, uh, that is on Bear Studios. Bear Studios. Uh, okay. Learn Ventriloquism was mine before Mayor Studios right. came into the picture. And I think that's one of the reasons I'm part of Mayor, or I am now Mayor. Um, mm -hmm. When I created the course, I wanted the course that I wished I had been able to take. Uh, you know, like I say, I studied everything and I spent a lot of money. And um, I think at the time, the mayor course was like one hundred and thirty nine or one hundred forty nine dollars. Um, and when I put this course online, everybody's like, well, can we download it? What? No, it's going to be there for you. And they're like, well, how can you do it at that price? Well, a website isn't free, but, you know, it's easily, easily manageable. And Learn Ventriloquism grew so much that it is it now rests on a private server, uh, which cost me a lot more. But um, it's grown into what I always wanted it to be. Um, so many people have gone through it. And we have the forum, which I don't know. I think you went in there when you uh, first started it, Landon. Um, but the forum has so much information. And honestly, I don't go onto the site as much as I probably I know it's not as much as I should. but it became what I wanted it to become because uh, Eddie Siller and Ann Seaton and a couple of others, um, I'm going to forget their names and they're going to get mad. Gary Barlotta, I think uh, there's a, there's a bunch of guys in there who um, will answer questions for people and they went through the course. They know their stuff. They know what I'm going to say. Uh, in fact, if you, if they dug through the, the things, they'd find me saying it somewhere, but right. I can't thank those people enough because they keep the conversation going. They're the ones that are actually helping train the future ventriloquists. Um, so it's, I'm very lucky to have created that when I did. And uh, I'm, I'm just so glad that people like it. In fact, I, I still intend to update all the videos. Um, I was going to do it last year. I uh, got a 4K camera and then I looked at it and I was like, eh, I don't like the, the quality of that. So, uh, but it is in my 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 wheelhouse to redo all those videos so that they're now because uh, I look back at some of them and on my screen because um, I've got like high def screens and everything now uh, you know I see pixelation and I, I hate that when dangerous talks so he's kind of he's looking pixelated right so I, I want to make it better for people I want to I want to keep it fresh and current for them 
Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely phenomenal, and it has. Thank you. The price, the price is just you can't you can't you can't afford not to do it because it's just it's it's worth every penny, and it's such a great course. Um, can you talk a little bit about what prompted you to start this Savvy Event Planner podcast? Because even though I'm not an event planner, I've I've listened to all the episodes, and they're absolutely fantastic to hear the uh, just to hear the uh, the stories. Um, that was a form of. Um, content marketing for me. Okay. Uh, I work with event planners. Most acts go out and they try to go out through agencies. Um, event planners are hired by the client or are the client. And uh, they're putting together the event. And when they need entertainment, they would then possibly go to the agency. And then the agency would call you. And you may or may not get the show, depending. Mm -hmm. I started building relationships with event planners. Uh, they're doing events all the time. And I'm not going to be right for every event. So you need a lot of event planners on your, you know, on your roster. You've got to know them. you got to reach out to them. But that's what I started doing. And uh, I thought to myself, how can I serve that market? And I thought do a podcast on event planning. Yeah. What I didn't realize, and I did I did 52 episodes and I have I think three more interviews that I did and those people hate me because I never put them out. Um but uh the thing I realized was the people listening to that podcast are not the event planners. They're the people who want to get into event planning. And so I was getting all kinds of questions about events and and I realized this is taking me in the wrong direction. Right. Um, so I stopped it. Uh, I loved it when I was doing it. I made a lot of really cool contacts. As you know, um, when you're doing any kind of content creation, you're able to sit down and talk to somebody for an hour or sure. maybe longer. And uh, you become friends, you know, and, and those everybody's been on this, uh, including me until later. I'll forget you, but they're all going to remember you. <laughs> My memory right. not that good. But um Anyway, uh, and you've made friends and you're going to be talking to them for the rest of your life. And, uh, you know, they're 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 always going to remember, hey, he's the guy that brought me on the show, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and then that's what I did. I, I made some really good friends who were really incredible speakers, uh, other entertainers and, uh, you know, some event planners um, that it, it was it was worthwhile doing, but mm -hmm. it wasn't worthwhile continuing. So that's how that all came about. Okay, I see. Neat. It's it's interesting hearing the uh, the motive behind that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I don't do things just because I've got so much free time. <laughs> Sometimes I pretend I do, but <laughs> no, mm -hmm. I uh, you know that was that was really a thing. I just I I wanted to try, uh, and everybody was saying you got to do a podcast. You got to do a podcast. Well. I didn't want to do a podcast for, uh, well, we did a podcast for ventriloquists. We did mayor um, radio mm -hmm. and we turned that into IVS radio and put a lot of that behind the IV. And that stuff has some incredible killer content. They're great. Yeah. It's, it's all great. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had so much fun doing that. We, we had, Oh God, we would laugh. And even the videos I've got outtakes, um, which I can never show, but <laughs> the, the amount of laughter that, Mark and Ken and I had, I've never had such a good time as when we were 
working together on all that stuff. The scripts, the dialogues, plus the uh, the podcast, the uh, just anytime we three got together. And that's kind of what brought me into the convention. You know, I mean, I was already working sound, but it kind of Mark started counting on me more and more for different things. And and now I'm doing the website for them and I'm doing, you know, Mark talks to me almost every day about everything that's going on. I do a lot of the graphics for him, um, which I haven't done as many this year because you know it's going to register right now. Uh, you know, we're kind of in a whole pattern. But um, the uh, you know, again, I still think it's going to go on. Um, but uh, so anyway, that's kind of how it came about. Mark and I just became good friends. We were over at Ken's. I, I'm going to tell the story, Mark. If you're watching this, you're going to, you know, he's going to be so embarrassed. Um, Mark didn't know me that well. We, I got out there the day before and we had talked all evening long and we were laughing, having a good time. And the next morning I had slept downstairs in the uh, the dungeon basement and Mark got the uh, the guest room with the uh, evil dummy inside uh, with the eyes that glow in the dark. And, you know, you'd have to turn the head around because it was one of those, um, oh, who put him out? The sideshow guy. Um, oh, uh, Jimmy Eisenberg. Yes, yes. And it was an cre- incredible figure, but the eyes were freaky at night. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and and Ruby wouldn't allow it, you know, in her room. So mm-hmm. Ken put it over there, and it just freaked out all the uh, the guests. Um, but anyway, so I got up in the morning, and uh, Ken was in his office, and I walked on back, and Mark was in the bathroom, and um, I'm talking to Ken, and on the way out, I hear the shower start, and I knocked on the door. I said, "Hey, Mark." You want me to come in and loofah your back? And he goes, get away from here. <laughs> he was scared. He thought I was going to come in. <laughs> so, um, you know, the loofah became our kind of like, we had a little loofah cheers. <laughs> right. And, and uh, the next time I went down to his place, uh, they picked me up at the airport, uh, he and Jody, and they gave me loofah pom-poms. <laughs> so, um, yeah, That's Mark great. loved to have his loofah around. He's a, yeah. he's a loofah guy. And, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, he didn't know how to take me. He thought I was serious. And Ken's like, he was joking. Calm down, Mark. Because Mark can get a little, you know, intense at times. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just like to poke at him. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I thought you were going, going, going somewhere with the, with the dummy and you bring out the loofah. <laughs> It was, it was, you know, it was just something stupid, and it just it, it hit across. But you know, that, that loofah thing is still a laugh between us. Yeah. Um, when Mark went in for his, uh, give me an idea of our friendship. Mm-hmm. When Mark went in for his uh, operation, he had the essential tremor, and he had to have um, an implant put into his brain. And uh, listening to him talk about that, it's it's an incredible operation, and it's got to be extremely difficult. And I know he was nervous about it. Uh, everybody was nervous about it because, you know, they're going into his brain. So I decided I was going to, you know, do something for him. And what I did was I got one of those uh, kitty bike helmets, you know, kind of like the ones the you know, the um, people who are going to bang their heads into a wall are going to wear. Yeah. I got one of those um, kitty bike helmets and I put flowers and Marky on the back of it. <laughs> And I sent it down to him. <laughs> and uh, when he opened that box, he cracked up. And uh, Jody Jody called and said, I haven't laughed that hard in years. Oh, so, man. Uh, he just went back and had something else done to it. And I said, take along your bike helmet just in case they mess up. <laughs> so, that's yeah, great. That's the kind of friendship we have. It's uh, We rib each other. We have a great time. Well, that's great. That's great because with, with you three, you know, running the convention it m- makes it easier because of that friendship. And uh, it really does. making sure everything moves 
Yeah, run smoothly. Yeah, that's so. truly great. Um, and but the thing was, uh, with Mayor, uh, after the IBS and everything, uh, Mark and Ken decided to leave. I can't even remember what year that was. Uh, it's I think it's been on its own for like three years now, at least, mm-hmm. and uh, or for me. And uh, I uh, I asked a bunch of friends to step up, and they've been producing videos. Um, you know, I got to thank everybody that does that. Uh, Neil Bacon puts stuff on. Um, uh, David Fowler is putting in recipes, um, you know, Chuck Lyons. Um, I'm going to leave people out and they're going to hate me. Uh, Juan Lu over in the Philippines. I mean, there's just so many people. Uh, the Korea, uh, Susan over in Korea, she does stuff. So many. Oh, um, mm, I can picture Dennis Miller. No, Dennis mm-hmm. Miller. Dennis. Anyway, he's uh, the puppeteer over in uh, Australia. And uh, he is constantly sending. He already sent me stuff for the July or for the June issue. And, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you got to love people like that. They're they're just they're so helpful. And we've really expanded that. So um, and I think that was a big thing for me, because when Mark and Ken left, people started dropping membership. And uh, I was like, aren't you going to stay a member? And they're like, well, you know, we weren't learning that much with Mark and Ken in there. So we can't imagine we're going to learn that much (laughs) with you. And it's like. Okay. Oh, man. Anytime you do something like that to me, uh, that's kind of like challenging me. And uh, when I became a magician, Landon, when I became a full-time magician, I did it because when I was about eight years old, my dad said, well, you can't be a professional magician. You know, you you just can't do it. There's no way you can be a professional magician around here. Because Mm -hmm. his idea of a magician was you either did birthday parties or you were on television. There was no one extreme to the next. Yeah. Yeah. There was no in between. And because he didn't understand the business, he didn't know how many different levels there really are in any branch of show business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's what made me want to do it. I've always been very headstrong that way. And, uh, and it was the same thing when people said, oh, well, we can't, I, I decided I'm going to make it bigger. Um, I started doing the membership cards and every year we, I try to do a different collectible membership card. Um, and I send those out because they can go out for first class postage. Um, the, uh, Oh, and I'm behind one of those. So if you're waiting for one, I'll get to you. I promise. I've just been a little busy lately, you know, with the quarantine and everything. I got things to do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, that was my thing. I I have always been the kind of person who, you know, if you tell me something's going to happen, not not with me, buddy. Right. So, and I, I hate that. I hate that because I get myself into situations that I really wish I wasn't in. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a comment here from uh, Ken Groves. He said, have Tom tell us about riding in our underwear. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, he didn't talk about that last night? No, he didn't. Man, shame on you. Um, <laughs> we were down in uh, Bear Butt Bay. That's what Ken called it, Bear Butt Bay, which is where Mark okay. Yeah. And uh, we were writing these scripts. And Mark got up to go into the other room and uh, do something. He was talking on the phone or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he got up and walked in the other room. So Ken and I, we looked at each other. We both stood up, took off all our clothes except for underwear, threw them oh, behind man. the couch, and uh, sat back down, propped our feet back up, put our computers right on our lap. So we looked like we were sitting there naked. <laughs> and um, Mark comes back in the room, doesn't pay any attention to us. He's uh, talking on the phone, and then he goes over to the uh, little bar counter that they have at their kitchen, and he's doing something over there. 
And then he turns around and he's looking at his papers and he's talking to us. And finally he looks up and he does a double take, nearly has a heart attack. (laughs) And um, to this day, that couch still has stains on it from Ken. But, uh, (laughs) but yeah, so that kind of became our, our, our thing. We, uh, we did, I think we did that a couple times to him and he still, um, I remember being in his office one time and Ken wasn't there and I did it. Uh, I was sitting in the the chair behind his desk, and or he was in the, at his desk, and I was in the chair behind him. And when yeah. he turned around, he's like, "Get your clothes on!" <laughs> he's like, "What if Jody had walked in here?" I was like, "She would have fainted in that." <laughs> just me. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, and Ken, uh, I don't think they found all your business. Ken started this thing where he, if he comes to your house, Landon, you got to move the lamps. You got to check under the lamps. You got to clean. Because he will put business cards where you won't expect them. And six years yeah. later, you'll be like, what the heck? How did that get That's Ken. That's great. <laughs> Are they his business cards or just random cards he's gotten over the years? <laughs> business cards. He puts his business yeah. cards. I don't okay. know. I, I think that's how he's getting rid of them now. <laughs> maybe, maybe Mark or Jody will hire him. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. Well, I'm curious because uh, I, I had seen a picture from uh, – I believe it was was last year's convention of you with a horse character. Yes, yes. Is uh, that one? Is that a character that that you're working on now? And can you talk a bit about that? You know, Landon, I like puppets. <laughs> no, I, you I know, everyone's it's okay. Like I'm, I'm curious to hear what your process is, why you bought it, and and kind of what you, as you do different, you do corporate, but then you also do. Uh, library oh, yeah. shows well, and you do a little bit of everything. So, well, I can. Um, I, the only reason I got into the library shows, uh, I got out of the fairs and the festivals because they were hiring me for free stages. And free stages, you're either out in the sun or you're under a pavilion, and your audience is out under the sun. And they're some of the most difficult shows in the world to do because people sit down literally at a fair. They're hot. They're tired. They're like, go ahead and make me laugh, puppet boy or magician boy or whatever. And it's it can be miserable. And the dust gets into your throat and, you know, it's, it's just nasty. Now, I have done some fairs where they've treated me very nice. And uh, I still have an agent that will put me into fairs, but he's very selective about where he'll put me. Um, but uh, so I decided a friend of mine did library shows and he's like, Maybe you ought to, he's a magician and he's very, very good. And he said, you know, why don't you do library shows? They're air conditioned. I'm like, they don't pay anything. He goes, well, you got to do a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're doing a hundred of them at 350, you're making $35,000 over the course of the summer. Mm-hmm. So he said, don't look at it as, you know, oh, I've only got one show and I've got to drive three hours to get to it today because tomorrow you'll have three shows and there'll be, you know, 50 minutes away from your house or even closer. Um, and so uh, I decided yeah, I'm going to try it. And uh, it's air conditioned. Uh, it's easy. It is very easy to do a library show. Uh, and the reason for that is um, a lot of library entertainers, and this is nothing against any of them. Um, they are teachers or somebody who is doing something during the year and they have the summer off. Okay. Um or, you know, they can get some weekends off and they're booking the shows then. Um, so I'm a little bit, eh, I shouldn't say that. It's, I'm a corporate entertainer. 
I know how to treat clients. I know how to take things to the next level. Uh, customer service wise, uh, program wise, um, I'm, you know, I've performed internationally. I've worked with all different types of audiences and I know how to pull the laughter. Um, when you're doing corporate, if you're not getting laughter, uh, you're in real trouble. Um, so the library shows were a breeze for me and the librarians were blown away. So I worked a good number of those, um, you know, and I'm slowly getting out of it. And the reason is it's just not as rewarding as it used to be. But I saw Horace at the um, convention. Uh, it was one of the puppets by Jet, and she makes some amazing uh, characters. And I couldn't afford a Leanne and Harvey character, so I was over at the Jet table. I didn't have a table that year. <laughs> but uh, I was over at the Jet's table, and I saw it, and um, I, uh, I said, put him back for me. So she put a gold sticker on him. Mm -hmm. And uh, I... I bought him. I, he was just so cute. I mean, he's, yeah. he's such a cute little guy mm -hmm. and he's small, which I like. I, um, when I travel dangerous, my, um, I've got the Axtel vent masks now. Yeah. Uh, only the only reason I switched over to those was so that I could buy the rights from Ron. Um, you know, a lot of people don't do that. They don't see the need for it. Uh, but based on my position in the community, I thought I really ought to you know do it. Um, and I've got uh, some other masks that I like just as well, um, but uh, I'm using the vent mount. Mic, but they the also probably mic. pack easier too, huh? right? Don't they pack easier because it's just that they're lighter and they're they're lighter. Um, I don't know if they pack easier. Actually, they pack a little harder. Uh, they're not as um, the cords aren't as flexible on them. Um, but because uh, the others are like a bike cord, and it's oh, very okay. easy to operate. So okay. and it, it curls up in the little pack. So, but um, I put. The vent masks, I put, uh, I've got a tennis ball character. Um, I've got uh, Dangerous. And I put all those into a carry-on, which is a porter case, uh, because it opens up into a, a dolly and can literally take my suitcase when I get to the airport and I have to pick up my suitcase, my clothes. Uh, at the thing, I can just open it up and I've got a little dolly to pull around. I don't have a bunch of cases. Oh, that's um, great. But um, so everything has to pack small and it has to go into that case. And the horse puppet is small. And uh, I don't think he would fit in there with Dangerous, but he would fit in there by himself. So if I decided I was going to use him, that was the thought. And uh, I, I wanted to create another really strong character. And I got him and I, I basically I took a, a country bumpkin kind of character because I've always liked, you know, rednecks and yeah. country bumpkins. Mm -hmm. um, Trish Dunn has an incredible redneck reindeer. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? Also, also by Jet. So shout out yeah. to Jet at the and I'm planning on doing a Puppet Builders Week, so we'll have her on here. Okay, cool. So. Um, yeah, and uh, I've got I want Barry Gordimer to build something for me. I've got a I've got an idea for a um, uh, albino black bear uh, who's just kind of shallow in the gene pool. <laughs> but uh, I, I started playing with this horse, and it was going to be a country bumpkin kind of character. And uh, the one thing I came up with. Uh, was his name is now Horace. Uh, I thought it was Horace. He goes, well, it was. But people come up and go, what's your name? Horse. We know you're a horse. What's your name? Horse. Then they back away slowly. <laughs> so wrong with him. Get him that Marky Wade helmet. <laughs> so, you know, that was the kind of thing I was playing with. And honestly, um, I do so many things. 
mm-hmm. between the IVS and the uh, you know my own business and my shows that I travel for. Um, you know, I've got uh, a couple of side businesses that I do uh, that uh, are online, um, which is that's been a godsend for me during this, uh, uh, you know, lockdown, this quarantine, um, because I'm still earning an income. And that was always my goal online was I wanted to um, create some stuff that would give me an income when I retire and, uh, you know, bring, still bring some money in. So um, thankfully, you know, I'm still making course sales and I'm still, you know, selling mayor stuff and I'm still selling, you know, IBS memberships and I'm still uh, selling for my other company, other little online businesses. And all of them are information based. I don't do anything uh, where I have to do physical product. But um, so this was going somewhere. You're talking about uh, price. I was talking about what? Your horse. No, it wasn't. And- uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, the horse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so I haven't played with him as much as I should, and I I was going to put him in the library shows this summer, and because I'm phasing out of the library shows, because uh, that's the other thing. Um, when you're breaking something in, you can't break it in at the level of you know a corporate event. Uh, you got to do it in the small shows, and uh, for me, the small shows were the library shows. Uh, are the Knobles Park that I've been playing for 25 years now. Um, so they're the smaller programs and they're the ones where I can bring out something and test it uh, and then test it again because usually you're doing multiples of those shows. I used to do a thing called Beach Street USA uh, down in Virginia Beach. They'd pay me to come down and work street. Uh, didn't pass the hat, didn't need to, didn't want to, wasn't allowed to, um, but I would do three 45 minute shows a night down there. And it allowed me to get so tight and get my comedy honed and play in front of so many different crowds. I don't think I was ever as sharp as I was when I was doing a month straight of those shows. And that's really what people forget. You know, they want to, Oh, I want to get money. I want to get paid. Jay Johnson once told me something really cool. He said, uh, you can't expect to get paid if you don't have your time on the, I guess, time on the boards or um, if you don't have your showmanship down. And that was in the uh, discussions on showmanship course. Uh, and and that, that stuck in my mind because so many people, uh, they go, oh, okay, I know how to do this. I can do this. But until you've really worked in front of, you know, lots of audiences, um, you just, you don't have it honed. And uh, I used to uh, set a camera up behind me focused on the audience and I would watch them after the show. Um, Cause I, I did a whole bunch of things where I'd watch myself. Ken has this great technique. Um, I don't know if he talked about it last night. Um, and I use that in the learn of the ventriloquism course too, where you perform and then you cover up the puppet, you cover up yourself and you know, you watch. But what I would do is I would set the camera up and I would watch the audience and I'd, I'd watch them. And if, if they weren't engaged, uh, if they weren't laughing, I would ask myself, why? What was I doing? I could hear myself. I knew what was going on. Um, So that gave me a way of where do I need to add more interaction? Where do I need to be able to draw their attention? Um, A couple of years ago, Event sent me a a link to a video he did. He goes, I nailed this show. And it wasn't nailed. Um, The audience, because he had a side shot. Now, he did a great job. Don't get me wrong. He nailed what he was doing. 
but the audience was looking at her watch. The kids were playing with her toys. Um, I was like, that's not nailing it. Um, you really want to have that group involved. You want to have them engaged. And if you go to Jeff's concert, he gets 11,000 people engaged. Uh, and we don't need to work with that many people. You just have to work with a lot of people to get good. And, sure. you know, again, that's that's going back to, I think, something we talked about earlier. But So I'm curious, how long is your normal corporate show? Uh, about 45 to 50 minutes. Okay, and how I, do you- I, could, I could do longer. Um, I don't go out and do cruise ships anymore because they want a 45-minute show and then they want a 30-minute show and then they might want you to do a 15-minute show somewhere. I have about 50 minutes, 55 minutes of, of grade A material. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got into the corporate stuff and I, I, I did well in it and I've done well in it. I'm still doing okay in it. Um, but, uh, well, not right now because they're all canceling. But anyway, like, that aside, um, when I got into that, I was like, okay, I can't fail. Um, that's a lot of pressure. And uh, you, you just, you can't afford to fail at those prices. You know, they're, they're paying you and they expect a return on their dollar. And uh, you've got to meet their goals. Um, you know, their people have to feel engaged. Their people, you know, you've got to give them that mood that they want to create. So that when their people leave there, they have that feeling. And um, so I'm afraid at times to add anything new. Um, you know, and if I do something at a Knobles or I do something at a library, I'm not doing it enough, even even with, um, you know, doing, you know, a summer full of library shows because they're kids. So they're not going to react the same way adults would. And Knobles mm-hmm. is family. So they're not going to always act. You can get away with a lot of stuff there and you can do some things um, and you can get a feel for how the adults are going to take it. But it's very difficult to then take it over into the corporate market. And that's why I stay about, you know, with my A material. And um, a lot of people go, well, don't you write new material? I do write new material. And sometimes mm-hmm. I'll throw a new joke in here and there. Um, but, you know, for a whole new routine, uh, I don't do it. I can, man, he can write things and and take them on stage and uh, just rock them. And he always says with the Amish theater uh, at the beginning of the, season it's not tight but by the end of the season it is because he's done it so many times and that's really what it takes it takes honing that in front of a live audience you can't you can't get good any other way that i know of so um you know that's that's just that's just a fact um that's what it is that's great it's interesting i i was uh i was curious to see you know what, what you're doing with that character and how you how you integrate it. So it's he's in a closet. He's in a closet. <laughs> We're all happy, but like I say, uh, I think I think country bumpkin uh, yeah. kind of character, and and I kind of envision him having grown up on the same farm as Dangerous. Okay, cool. So you've got that relationship with the puppets. They, they and, know they know each other. They might not be best of friends, but they know each other. Yeah, and um, you know it's it's kind of like uh, I, I look back to. Um, uh, Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and Mortimer Snurd. Charlie McCarthy hated Mortimer Snurd. Yeah. Uh, and then you go to Winch and his, uh, you know, Jerry Mahoney and um, Knucklehead Smith. And, uh, you know, so I was kind of, I was, I was kind of, you know, thinking about harking or going back to that kind of relationship. Uh, not necessarily the same character types, um, but, I guess in a way they are because dangerous is a pretty much smart Alec 
uh, smart ass kind of thing. And uh, and if Horace was, you know, slow and kind of backwards, um, it, you know, so, but I think deep down, I want him to be smarter than he lets on. You know, if I, if I, when I bring him out, he's, he's not going to do anything bright mm-hmm. until it's too late for me to realize that he's played something on me or something. So, sure. you know, that's great because that you, you're you're the development of the character and the the potential for comedy and then that relationship between dangerous and and that character that, that's neat that's neat. Um, in wrapping up here, what do you hope to see from the future of ventriloquism? Hmm. I hope to see more people like you. Okay. Uh, you uh, you came on the scene. You won the Terry Fader contest. Um, mm-hmm. You went on that stage and just were full of personality. Uh, you know, and I, I love that about you and the, the young vets. Um, we need more young blood in this. Uh, a lot of people thought Darcy was going to bring a lot of people into this. Um, we really haven't seen as many as we had hoped. Uh, but that's not to say they're not there. It just, you know, they're not part of the community yet if they are there. And um, I'd love to see more vets come to the convention to learn. Um to to make use of all the materials that are out there for us now, uh, there's there's so many free resources. Uh, there's so many good you know paid resources. Um, you know uh, Lee Cornell uh, put out all those great videos by uh, uh, Sammy King and by Bill Demar. Uh, and you know it's it's funny. Bill was an incredible talent. Um, not a lot of people knew exactly how much of a legend he was. Uh, because you know they met him at the convention, he was a nice old guy. Um, but uh, Bill, Bill was phenomenal, and you can learn from these people, and you've got to learn about your past before you can go into the future. So I, I just really, I'd like to see more youth come into it and bring the knowledge of what's happened, and then take their personalities and just run forward with it. Because as popular as it is now, uh, everything has waves. Uh, we're probably going to hit a downturn at some point, and when we do. Um, it's going to be up to the next generation to bring it back up. And I think we've got some bright stars on the horizon and uh, you know, I, I hope that they do it. Wow. I'm sure they will. I am too. Tom Crowell, thank you so much for being part of Landon live and for sharing your story. My pleasure, Landon. Thank you for having me. All right. And thank you guys for tuning in. And tomorrow night we have Terry Fader. So oh. make sure to tune in tomorrow night. And well, we got uh, a question, Brandon. Uh, well, we can see uh, uh, we, we have a lot of shout outs to you for learned ventriloquism. Um, someone had asked about how to become part of the IBS and someone already answered. So you've got people that are already on your side and uh, that's fan- phenomenal. And I think we're all good. I mean, okay. I, we got all of our questions down. So, uh, yeah. Uh, do you think, oh, well, we already talked about the convention happening this year. Uh, it's it's on until, you know, we hear something else. So. Yeah. Um, and and we really again we are we are at the mercy of the governor of Kentucky right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so as soon as we know something, we'll let you know. But we've I watched all these conventions canceling, yeah. and this is back in March. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking this quarantine isn't going to last that long. You know, it's not going to last into the summer. And uh, I'm surprised it's lasted this long because I know it's um I probably shouldn't go into this, but I, I know it's a uh, um everybody's worried about it, but I mm-hmm. honestly think I came down with it back in February. 
and it was bad. But the they say it's been around since October. So where were the death spikes in exactly. November, December, January, and February? They attributed it to something else. Well, you'd still think, well, why are the deaths from this going way up all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I, mean, I know it's bad. I know it kills people. But so does the flu. So does tuberculosis. So does exactly. D, so, so, you know, you get a cold. Everybody's like, stay home. Yeah. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm going to start going out, folks. So I'm sorry if I ticked you off, but I'm 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 an introvert, but I got to get out. That's going to be that little clip of you talking right there is going to be the intro to the convention this year. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, thank you so much for being a part of this, Tom, and thank you guys for tuning in. This has been uh, so much fun. Take care, Linda. Thanks. All right, you too. Bye.